Leading us, uh, good morning everybody, sorry, should have started with that. Um, good, uh, thanks Amelia. Good to be with you all. Thank you, Bella. Right, nobody else do it, I'll um, Great to worship together, great to be together. Um, yeah, so we're, we are, we're at the end of uh, this remarkable letter. Um, I, I, I hope it's something is, something is stirred. If something hasn't stirred in the last six months, um, I'm, uh, I'm getting the sack or whatever. <laughs> um, hopefully it's not all the same things. Hopefully God's just done something as we've went uh, through this stunning letter. I've, I've, I've loved it. And um, as even just again as reflecting in worship, just really grateful for what he's teaching and what he, what he imparts when we come open-handed and open-hearted. Um, before him. I'm not going to take up time by, by summarising where we've been. Um, so you can go back and, and, uh, and check it out for yourself if you want. Um, covered so much ground. And uh, let me just read um, chapter 6, verses 10. I'll just, let me just read the whole part of this last wee bit. Feels quite heavy. Some of what we're going to look at this morning. Um, so, uh, so let me read it. Um, and uh, and then get stuck in. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand after you've done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are that he may, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And I know this is 
Paul wrapping his letter up, but there is there is a huge amount to, uh, in some ways to get through this this morning. Uh, the temptation for me initially during the week was just let's get to the armor armor of God. Let's get there. That's the that's the juicy, bulky part of this passage. I think it reveals something of the maybe I can't speak for all of us, but for me anyway, maybe it's a Western, I think it's a Western, a Western thing or a Western Christianity that we have trouble taking those sort of verses 11, 12, and 13 seriously. We've str- we struggle, I believe, taking Satan seriously, taking the demonic seriously. The, all of this language, there's, there's so many different ways that Paul talks about Um, the rulers and the authorities, the dark world, the spiritual forces of evil. That's why it feels almost like, feels heavy if we're going to talk about this. It cannot, in some ways, but feel feel heavy. So let me pray for us, if that's okay. Father, um, conscious that this is your truth, conscious that this is your instruction to us as the church, this letter, instruction to how the church is always intended to be, and, and God, I, I thank you that um, thank you for the revelation that Paul had for the church then and for the church now. And God, as we wade through some of this, we uh, we just pray for your for your grace. We pray that you would that you would help us. We pray that you would guard our hearts and our minds. Pray that you would um, help us to uh, to hear and to be challenged, to be provoked in godly, healthy ways. And Jesus, uh, just conscious that I so need you, conscious that we all need you. And God, I just pray that anything that's said that doesn't reflect fully who you are, doesn't reflect fully what these, what these, uh, what this letter intends, God, I pray that it would be forgotten, it would be ignored, it would just slip away unnoticed. Um, so, uh, Please, Spirit, calm, I pray in Jesus' name. Um, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a helpful place for us to start this morning before we get into this maybe more heavier stuff. Be strong in his power. This is really important. We are stronger when we lean on his power. And that, that sounds really simple, really simple to say that. Um, we, you, you know that. Uh, don't always live that way. Um, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 has been, I think my granny has wrote it on birthday cards from I was one from my first birthday, probably. Uh, trust in the Lord. Uh, and don't lean on your own understanding. Just to add on to that, don't lean on your, on your own power. Um, keep leaning on his. It's in his mighty power where we find our strength. This is, this is his this is his battle, and um, we need to lean on his strength. We need to lean on his power. Or, sorry, power. I don't know if anybody was listening to David uh, speaking in the States. If nothing else, it was a brilliant preach, but if nothing else, just watch the first 10 minutes of David saying power about 17 times. It's brilliant. Um, like pick one of those verses that just had power on every other line. Anyway, um, let, me read, let me read a few of these verses, verses in the message version. I find them quite helpful. 
as I read them last night. Um, and that about wraps it up, is how Eugene Peterson translates these few verses. Um, God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. And so I don't know what that is like. I don't know how that is making you feel this morning. I'd almost love to get inside all of your heads and he, like see how you're hearing this. Like, but this is it. Like there's almost no getting around half-heartedness. There's no, like, there's no room for complacency if this is the truth. It's an all-out. It's a, it's a life-or-death fight to the finish um, against the devil and all his angels. And so this is the language that the, that the NIV uses, the devil's schemes. And that's just what I want to reflect on for a couple of minutes here. Stick with me. Um, some of your versions maybe say the wiles of the devil. I think I grew up here in the wilds of the devil, never having a clue what that meant. Um, but essentially it's the strategies, maybe some of your versions would say the strategies of the devil, his schemes, his strategies, the wiles. And uh, essentially, uh, at his very core, he's a liar. He's the father of lies and he's out to deceive. He's out to deceive, but more so than that, he's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's who he is. He's a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour, as Peter tells us. And we often say that, that uh, I love John chapter 4, where we're reminded that the Father is always at work. And what we need to know, what you need to hear today, is that it's the same with the adversary, with the Satan, with the devil. He is he's always at work. He is a roaring lion, seeking anyone that he can devour, anyone who's, um, who's, who's vulnerable, anybody, he's just out, no, doesn't care who you are, doesn't care your situation, he's out to devour, he's out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And as I've said, this is, this is I think I feel like it needs to be said because I think we don't take it seriously enough. I think we struggle to believe that the devil has an intelligence. His strategies, he has strategies and schemes which suggest that he has an intelligence. He is quick to adapt. I've been thinking about this since Wednesday. Um, you'll be thinking, you've had a pretty rubbish week if that's what you've been thinking about since <laughs> Wednesday. But we talked about, we talked about some of the environments that we were wanting to create for all the gifts that are, that are in this place to grow and to develop. We felt that humility was one of the really important, that authenticity was really important, and flexibility, being adaptable was really important. And we talked about war, we talked about situ situations of war, where the biggest and strongest, it didn't matter whether you were the biggest and strongest side in, in a battle, it was always the ones who were quick to adapt that succeeded. It was always the ones who were quickest to adapt and so the, 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 the devil and his angels, they have, they have an intelligence. They have a craftiness. They have strategies and schemes in place. And the truth is they're quick to adapt. 
They're quick to adapt, and that's why I think it becomes really important for us to be likewise. When you're, we are not quick to adapt, we talked about this in situations of physical war, and I don't think it's any different for the war that we are in spiritually. When we're not quick to adapt in situations of warfare, we become incredibly vulnerable. It's the case physically, and wholeheartedly believe it's the case for us spiritually. If we are not quick to adapt, if we're not quick to be conscious and aware of the strategies and the schemes and the wiles of the devil, we, we, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position. And so Paul is saying here over and over, stand. This is, like, this is what you're up against, so stand. Stand firm. He's t- reminding us that, listen, Finally, this is, as I'm wrapping this up, this is really important. Um, stand firm. Put on everything that the master has given you. And if you believe what Eugene Peterson said, this is a life or death fight to the end. So be prepared. Pay attention. Put on everything that you have been given. It's really difficult. This is really challenging because there are certain sins, and Paul has listed them, in Ephesians, he's listed them in all of his letters where there's sins that are easily identifiable. There's sins that are, that are easy to say that that's what it is and this is the appropriate action to take. When it comes to this, it becomes harder to name. It becomes more challenging to identify because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, see, the, the, the enemy, Satan, he disguises himself as an angel of light. It becomes really hard to identify. It becomes challenging to be able to name Challenging to be able to locate. Love, and it's really important that we, that we are praying for our kids. Or we, or, because that's what we teach our kids to pray all the time. And sometimes we ignore the fact that, that right now they're going to be learning to deliver us from the evil one. And, um, and sometimes we slip past that verse and actually do we realize what it is that that we're praying, do we realize how important and significant it is that we are praying this? Some of what I want to share here for a moment um, might, make, might make you feel uncomfortable. Um, and I, I, honestly, I feel like I'm, this is still like stuff that I'm wrestling with. I know that there's, I believe that there's grace, enough grace in the room for you just to, to let me sort of engage with you here. As, a, as we tr- as a try to work this out, because ultimately, hear this, ultimately God has far more authority than Satan. But as I read what Jesus says, and as I read what Paul says over and over again, there's something, there's something about our present fallen world, something about the present fallen world where it seems, or maybe sometimes more than seems, Satan has more influence on what happens. So I don't know how that's landing with you. Don't, like, don't reject it outright, but it seems, and actually is it true, that in our present fallen world, Satan has more influence, has the most influence. So, I, so I'm, I maybe don't feel like I'm putting it down, but I'm sitting in Friday, our Friday morning prayer time and we're talking about all the stuff that's going on around the world. <coughs> in the Horn of Africa, in Afghanistan, in Sri Lanka. You cannot help but think that that's true. That, that his strategies and his schemes are having more influence than, than anything else. 
it's hard not to come away from times like that without not believing that. See, three times, and there, there could be more, but three times outright, Jesus, referring to Satan, says that he is the ruler of this world. He says it in John 12, and John 14, and John 16. See, back in the ancient Near East, back in these days, when someone was talking about as a ruler, they were the one person with the most authority in a, in a tribe, the most authority in, in, in the political realm. The most authority was, they were called the ruler. And this is how Jesus speaks of Satan. See, he's the ruler of this world. And so this is all, some of this feels above my pay grade, but it feels like we just need to put it out there at least. And let's work this out. And then Paul, Paul goes on to say that in, in 2 Corinthians 4, he's the small, small g, the God of this world. He's the God of this world who has blinded the minds of all unbelievers. Well, we've already talked about it, or we've read it at least in Ephesians 2, verse 2, that he is the ruler of the power of the air. I hope that none of this is, we're going to get to some hopeful stuff. I hope none of this is freaking you out or intimidating but this is just what the bible says and then you get to first john 5 and first john 5 says that the whole world is under the power of the evil one and i'm starting to read all of these verses this week and i'm realizing that i have i i get to those i get to first john and i want to, and i get to god is love in first john 4 and i and i just camp around there i don't want i sort of sneak to john to first john 5 and i'm like the whole world is under the power of the evil one I can't bring myself to reading it. I can't bring myself to even wrestling with that at times. And even as we think about, even as we think about the temptations of Jesus in Luke 4, I was thinking about that this morning. The temptations uh, were, were the third temptation where Satan says to Jesus, uh, I, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you, if you do what I say. I just found it interesting as, a, as reflecting on that, that Jesus never told them that the kingdoms of this world are not yours to give away. Jesus, Jesus never said that. He never said that. He never said that what Satan was offering him, that he was wrong. I'm left with that. that that's in the mix. And so in some ways, I'm like, I, this, is, this is challenging to wade through. But I think what I do want to, what I want to finish more confidently with, I hope, is how do we respond? So I think we can go two ways. We can go two ways in our response to, to what I'm saying this morning. Well, I suppose there's other ways. You could, you could flat out ignore me and you could you say, I don't believe anything you're saying. Put your head in the sand and like, forget all about it. That's an option too, I suppose. One option, or the other option is that you panic. You just like, this is too much for me to handle and just panic. What is going on? Or you can go up, you can just go up, crazy militant crusade protest. Oh, there's a P. Panic or protest. There we go. You just crusade protest against it. But I just wonder, as, we've, as we take all of what Paul has said in this letter, is there another way? And I think there is. And maybe this sounds, I hope it doesn't, because I think it's huge. I hope it doesn't sound 
to like head in the sky. But I think we, if we were, the third response, the other response is to realize and grow in our unique identity as sons and daughters living under the lordship of Jesus in his church. That's what I think our response is. Whatever you think of what I've said, whatever, whatever level of agreement you, you're at, I think for all of us, our response is, let's stand. Let's stand firm. All else that's going on, Paul says, Paul's, Paul believes this. Paul said so much around this and said, and he knows, he believes it's difficult, it's hard, and the response is, guys, stand firm. When all this is coming against you, stand. Stand. And realize and grow in your unique identity as sons and daughters of God under his lordship in the church. And then the next thing, and, 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 and to add on to that, and be incredibly intentional about putting on the whole armor. Put on everything that the master has set out for you. Um, and just before we get to that, if I go on an extra few minutes this morning, please bear with me, but I really want to say this. And it just, it, it caught me a couple of days ago. It, it was just, it was, it was one of those moments, I know I've read it before, but it just felt like one of those moments where it was like just jumping out of the page, almost like roaring at me off the page. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Now, if I was one of those interactive preachers, I would be getting you to say not against flesh and blood. Um, but I don't do that because if nobody says it backwards, I get all flustered and confused. And all right, is anybody listening? But our, hear this, repeat it into yourself, whatever, not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not, our fight is not against flesh and blood. So hear this, if it's, if it's flesh and blood, it is someone to be fighting for and not against. And so much of our energy, so much of our aggression and our hatred is directed toward flesh and blood. And so I know, like I, like I, I have these moments all the time. I still, not, still don't have this nail. I don't think I ever will. But my, my, those that have different, any sort of different opinion than me, whatever it is, whether it's political, sexual, um, anything, my, my ear, my irk, my frustration is taken out on flesh and blood. My battle is not against flesh and blood. And you've heard me say this so many times, and I, say, I think it bears repeating again, that there's so much going on in the lives of people that we don't know. No matter who they are, what they believe, that there's two sure things that you can agree with them on. And again, I feel like asking you what those two things are, but I'm afraid... First is everyone that you meet, no matter what they are made in the image of God. Second thing, no matter who you meet, no matter who you come across, no matter who rubs you up the wrong way, the second thing that you can agree on is that they were worth Jesus giving his life for. They're the only two things that are sure about the person, anybody that you ever meet. And that's why it's important to hear that our battle is not against flesh and blood. In fact, I just found myself getting incredibly frustrated of how, how much 
of the enemy's schemes and uh, wiles and strategies that we are, like, he just sits back. We've, like, we've become that divisive and warring and fighting against each other that he sits back, killing each other for centuries, and he sits back, and he loves it. We're doing all his work for him, and that's what it feels like. Maybe that sounds like too much of an overstatement. It feels like we're just doing all of his work for him. His is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and that's what we seem to do to each other, to flesh and blood, all too often. See, the kingdom manifesto, if we're to follow the kingdom manifesto of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, um, we will need reminded that love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And I'm just convinced that loving your enemy is what resists and stands is, helps us to stand firm against the powers of the evil one. Loving one another, loving your enemy, loving those that you disagree with profoundly resists the evil one. So for no other reason, if for no other reason, and it might be difficult for you, love, love someone that you disagree with uh, the most profoundly, if for nothing else but to resist the scheming lion to rag, <laughs> that is the devil. Like, that should be, feels to me that that should be enough. And our divisiveness at times plays right into his hands, and that's so frustrating. He deceives us into fighting against flesh and blood. The call to followers of Jesus to resist the evil one would be to fight for flesh and blood. And so, um, so let's try and flick through this. It is, I'm not going to be too long flicking through the armor. But I want to use this, so that's why I could wrap things up, but I want to use this. So all the rest of this might be rubbish, but I'm getting a clicker. Um, but I think, again, it's important, I think it is important what Neville shared with us as we brought our worship to, to a conclusion. Because um, I feel like I've been in, in rooms recently, whether it's in this room or with other church leaders or other, other followers, and I feel like over the last two years, they haven't advanced. They haven't taken ground or some of, the, some of that language that we, in, in charismatic circles, we get all G'd up and we're going to advance, we're going to take new ground. And none of, not, none of that's bad. Please don't hear me saying any of that's bad. But I felt it's just been important to be in some rooms just to be able to say to, to men and women across the room, you're still standing. There's moments I felt like breaking into Elton John, like you're still standing. <laughs> um, after all of this, after all of the last two years, you're still standing. And that's good. After all, after everything, after everything, grace has got you to this point. His grace and his mercy has sustained you to this point, and that should be enough, you know. So many have, so many have like, felt like they couldn't stick the course. So many of them have become just so weak and heavy laden. But you're still standing. You're still here. Grace has got you to this point, and grace will, will lead you on. I think it's important just to be able to acknowledge that after the last couple of years, stand firm, you're still here, you're still standing. Um, let's see this. Uh, this is too much power for me, I can't cope with this. Um, embarrassing, isn't it? Um, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth. The belt 
is what holds everything together. You will be really glad that I am wearing a belt today. It holds everything else in place. It holds everything together. It holds the armor together. And so Satan's greatest weapon, and so there's the, just so you know, I completely cheated. I put in Ephesians 6, and this slideshow came up for me. So just in case, like this complete disclaimer, if I'd, known, if I'd thought of that years ago, uh, I could have got away with everybody thinking I was a whiz at this. So as uh, this guy did this cool pencil drawing of a Roman soldier that Paul had in mind, and here's the, here's the belt of truth. Here's the belt that holds everything together. And so Satan's greatest, um, greatest weapon is deceit, as we've already said. He's the father of lies. That's what Jesus said about him. He's the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. It says that in John chapter 8. So he's been lying from the beginning. His greatest weapon is deceit. So we use the belt of truth in order to stand firm against his lies, against his deceit. And so there's loads of stuff that the enemy will try and get us to believe. One of the things that, that, that I feel that he, that he did for me, the beginning of my journey of faith, was he tried to lie and to deceive and tell me that God was a mean and vengeful God. That's not who he is at all. And so what's going to hold this whole belt, whole, whole armor together is the belt of truth. And the truth is that God is good. The truth is that the truth is what he says about you. You need to put that on. You need the truth is that you're loved perfectly. I feel like I've said this loads and loads over this series, but you, where you sit right now, you, you are loved perfectly. You're loved completely. And so you need to get a, we need to put on the truth of who he is and who he says that you are. Put that on. That'll hold everything else together. Um, the Ephesians six fourteen. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, and so I think we've, we've talked about this before, maybe not in this series, but righteousness, uh, this breastplate that, that protects the vital organs, protects the heart, uh, Righteousness is right-relatedness. That's what we talked about. Sometimes we think of righteousness and we think um, being just like really holy and proper and all of that. We have these sort of skewed versions of what we think righteousness is. But righteousness is, I believe, simply right-relatedness. Right-relatedness to God and to one another. Um, and so that's why it's really important. That's why it's the, the breastplate that guards. That we need to guard this. We need to be really intentional about guarding our relationships to God and to one another. And so that will require investing time. Require investing time in those relationships. And there was a moment yesterday with the football that um, one of the guys, just a, like it was just a, a, just a quick prayer and in the middle of it just like acknowledging all of the things that we take for granted. I just felt like reminded of what I wanted to share this morning around this and, and, and how often we take relationships for granted. And when we do that, we just don't, aren't as intentional about investing the time. We can take it for granted about our relationship with God. He loves us and he loves us just the way that we are. But he doesn't want us to stay the way that we are. And so there's an there's a urgency to invest time in those relationships so that we don't take it for granted. We can't afford complacency. And not just in this area, just like, not just in the breastplate of righteousness, but generally speaking here, 
can't afford complacency. And I know that there is a cost, and you all know we'll be able to share all of our own stories about um, the cost of following Jesus. We could, we could just, I love us, like I'd love to be able to just hear the stories of what it is you've laid down in order to follow Jesus. And there is a cost of following Jesus. But for me, it freaks me out sometimes the cost of not following him, the cost of not laying down your all, the cost of complacency is, I think, so much greater than the cost of discipleship. Um, the shoes for your feet put on. Uh, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Not a great version of that. Shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And there's the shoes. So wherever you go, for all of us, I've been talking through the, I've been talking through the, the gifts, I'm talking through the, the evangelist. Um, and we all evangelize. I think we've seen that for those of us that were, that were on that um, chat around evangelism we, could, we all evangelize in different ways maybe not all necessarily evangelists in the typical sense or the stereotypical sense maybe but we are all called to bring good news and so the shoes of the gospel of peace bring good news of the shalom of God the peace of God everywhere you go Verse 16, with all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And uh, the, sh the shield of faith. As you'll know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that uh, faith is what we hope for. Faith is confident of what we cannot see. And so is the shield of faith when our mind and our thoughts line up with what God says about you when your thought when your mind when it begins to line up with what god says about you that is what extinguishes the the darts the fiery darts of the evil one so when he fires stuff at you sometimes sometimes we we know that we know what the bible says we know some of these verses but it can be really difficult sometimes to actually have faith to believe it when we can't see and so what we're saying here, I think, with the shield of faith is that our thoughts, our mind, like in our, even in our mind's eye or our imagination, it lines up with what God says about us. And that deflects all of the lies that the enemy would fire your way. Um, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, so guard your mind, guard your mind with the helmet of salvation. And that's not just about, again, say this loads, it's not just about going to heaven when you die. Like the salvation is past, present, and future. And so you're guarding your heart and your mind, you're like just this ongoing sanctification, ongoing working this out, ongoing consistency in relationship with, with God. Um, and then the sword of the spirit, whatever lie is coming at you, take what God says about you and, uh, and wield it at the enemy. And this is, what, this is what was at the end of this slideshow. And um, we'll not have time, to, but just to give you an idea, we'll maybe, we'll maybe uh, put something like this together for some of us. We'll not rush through it now. 
But just to give you an idea, wielding the sword of the Spirit, this is what it looks like. When the deceiver says that God doesn't care about us, we say we are God's beloved children and dear friends. And then there's other stuff there that we could. But I think it'd be good for us to put that together, maybe in a, some sort of document or however that, that looks. And, and I know that the, the time is gone, but give me five more minutes. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Um, growing up, we've talked so much, we've tried to couch like everything that we've said over the last six months in maturing, deepening roots. And, uh, and this is why I wanted just to, to, to finish making sure that we're acknowledging and pray in the Spirit at all times. Growing up in Christ, maturing in Christ in the company of church uh, develops in a community of prayer. And, um, and so I know the summer, we holidays, it, uh, it's hard just to, to take a series and we're not going to do that over the summer. Um, but in the autumn, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to lay some foundations. Or we're going to do some sort of foundation work. Um, and, uh, and you can't do that without prayer. And so we're going to give a lot of our autumn season to, to praying, praying continually, praying with all kinds of prayers, with all kinds of requests, convinced that uh, maturing, growing up in Christ, um, church develops in a community of prayer. And so it ends just really personally. And I love how personal this prayer ends. And verse 19, uh, verse 19, uh, Paul says, pray also for me. All that he said, pray also with the saints. But then there's this moment, it almost, as I read it during the week, it almost felt so vulnerable. Paul in chains, an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel, he said, it feels like for the first time he said, pray also for me. And I just felt that was really important. And, I, and, and, I've, and I've witnessed this morning um, just people praying for one another. But I think what is really important is, is that like the level of humility and accountability and deepening of relationships. Whenever you'll just go up to someone and you'll say, would, would you pray for me? We're not always good at that, I don't think. We, all, we always want to pray, and we should, so don't get me wrong, like there's so much stuff going on across the world that we need to contend for and fight for and give our attention to. We just need moments that will just come alongside somebody and say, would you pray for me? And I, and I just feel the weight of that actually at the moment. Because I think the church in general, but I think for, for us, I think we become stronger and we mature whenever that's just a normal part of our language. I actually think there's something about what, what will deepen our maturity and deepen our strength. We have those moments where we just say, would you pray for me? And, um, and yeah, I think that would, be, that would be beautiful. And so Paul has, has written this all and he's handed it to Tychicus, this, this guy that, was we were first introduced to in Acts 20. This big, this huge mission trip to Macedonia. It sounds amazing because you had all of these, you had all of the, the, these people coming from Asia and coming from all over the different parts of the world to, to meet with Paul for this mission expedition uh, to Macedonia. And that's where we're introduced to this guy. 
And then there's three times that he is the one that's entrusted to bring what Paul's written to Colossians. Um, we're told about, it in second, told about him in 2 Timothy and also the letter to Titus. And, um, and so I'll wrap up with this. What Paul has, has written down has come through years of living in communities of men and women being formed by the Spirit. He's lived, like all the, everything that's written down here, Paul has lived it all. He's lived it all, and he's lived it among communities of men and women who have been formed by the Spirit. And again, that's why I think this letter is hugely important for us. Because that's what we're hungry for. We're hungry for to be part of a community where another letter would be written. Like, a letter would be written about what, what the Lord does in this community of men and women who are being formed by the Spirit. And Paul has sent Tychicus to tell everything. Tell everything that's been happening. There is no insignificant part of, um, of what it means to be the church. And so whatever your role is, know that Paul sent Tychicus to tell everything. There is no insignificant part of what it means to be part of the church. Oh man, there's something about Tychicus that I could just keep going on here. I need to close this. Father, I thank you for uh, the grace of everyone in this room to sit with us for a few minutes longer. And uh, God, would you just teach us? We thank you for uh, all, that we've, all that we've discovered, all that we're still learning, all that we're still wrestling with, all that we still don't get, all that we still don't understand. And we, we just humbly come before you, Spirit, and say, would you continue to form us? Would you continue to fashion us in the likeness of Jesus? Um, so we, we love you, Jesus. We, we pray that you'd help us to stand firm. We pray that you would help us to revel and to recognize and to realize our unique identity as sons and daughters of God. God, we would be willing to lay down our lives afresh again under the lordship of Jesus and a commitment to his bride, to the church. And we intentionally put on everything that you've given us in order to stand. And so help us, God, I pray. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.